saw the news this morning, but uh, it was reported that Phil, the groundhog, uh, did not see his shadow, which means that we'll have an early spring. So, but I, the, mo- the most interesting thing about that story I was reading this morning, though, <laughs> well, first of all, I thought it was interesting that they said literally people, thousands of people, camped out all night long to be there when they brought this groundhog out for this ceremony, Okay. I'm thinking, I wonder how many of those people went to church this morning. You know what I mean? It's like thousands of people, and uh, he came out, they did their thing. But the funniest thing about it all, um, and if you're a member of PETA, I apologize. But PETA, uh, I guess, put their two cents in and said that it was kind of, I guess it's kind of abusive on that groundhog. They thought they should retire Phil, the groundhog, and start using an animated groundhog. So um, anyway, however you stand on that topic, uh, Phil, the real groundhog, declared in early spring. So Anyway, yeah, he, was, he looked abused, big fat, you know, to keep him around. Anyway, it's amazing what we, uh, you talk about carnal minds, it's amazing what we put our, our uh, focus on these days. But uh, she was talking about this being our 13th anniversary, and it didn't click with me until I guess this week. It was the first, first Sunday in February that we opened our doors 13 years ago, uh, and it's, it still amazes me. And I think back of what God has done and to see uh, what he has accomplished, uh, and I, I emphasize the word he uh, has accomplished in these past 13 years has been uh, exciting, uh, to say the least. So um, I just want to say, those of you, how many of you, raise your hand if you were here on day one. Raise your hand. Several. Several. So thank you for those of you that were here on day one and uh, have stuck with us all this time. If you put up with me for 13 years, you're either uh, clinically insane or, or uh, glutton for punishment or something. But I appreciate really your support. And those of you that have recently joined us and throughout the years, um, thank you. God bless you. Uh, how many of you have, have you ever had a big meal? Okay, you've, you've cooked it all. You had the meat, potatoes, and, and the carrots, the whole bit, the big meal. And you eat, everybody eats, and you get done, and you kind of look at what's left over, and you have a decision to make. You have to decide, is there enough on the table still to gather up and, and put in the fridge for leftovers to eat later, or is there really not you know, enough to mess with and you just kind of throw it out to the dogs? That's kind of the way I was last week after I got done preaching my message uh, about carnal minds in a spiritual body. Uh, I told you last week I didn't really get through all of it. There were a few little things that were still in mind I, I didn't get to. And so I sat down this week and I looked at it and I said, is there enough on the table? Uh, to, to go on with it, or should I just kind of let it, let it uh, go? And um, the Lord really impressed some things upon me uh, that I wasn't able to, to get last week. So we're going to have leftovers a little bit this morning. Uh, I wanna, there was enough on the table that I felt like I needed to um, bring it out. So that being said, maybe you weren't here last week and you needed to hear um, some of the things that were said, and then uh, maybe you were here this week or last week and you need um, the part two for it all. So I'm just going to kind of tag piggyback on the back of my message from last week, just to give you a little bit of a recap here if you weren't here, or to remind you if you were. The title of my message is Carnal Minds in a Spiritual Body. Carnal meaning fleshly or worldly, to think about things like a human, would normal human would think about. And even to the degree, remember Paul said, uh, referred to the carnal mind as almost being animal-like and, and thinking about what is best for me, um, as opposed to the spirit, which is all, always thinking about that that pertains unto God. We deal with great battles in our minds. We deal with we deal with doubts. We deal with lusts. We deal with memories of past failures. We deal with memories of past hurts. People who have have hurt us. Uh, all of these things that go on in our mind that we have to fight through. Out, we're wired to automatically think carnally. 
okay? If you start getting hungry, you're wired to automatically think about those hunger pains. It's just the way we're wired. And I want to read, I want to just read one verse here that I read last week uh, to pick up on this. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus is revealing to his disciples what's about to take place. He's, He's teaching them that he is about to be crucified. They have been with him. He's been their rock for three years. He's been their provider, their protector for three years. And now he's going to be taken away from them and crucified. And he's breaking the news to them. He's dropping the bomb and, and they're not liking it. And Peter is like, no, this can't happen. Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. He said, this is not the way it's supposed to go down. You know, the disciples and the world around him, especially the Jews, and you kind of have to understand this, that the, the Jewish people of that day and even a lot of the Jewish people of today were looking for uh, the Messiah. They knew that God was going to send the deliverer, but they were looking for that Messiah to come and deliver them in a worldly sense, okay? In Jesus' day, the, the, the Jewish people were basically under the rule of the Romans. The Romans had just conquered the whole known world, and the, the Israelites hated the Romans because they were, you know, having to serve them ultimately. And so what the Jews thought in their mind is that God was going to send a deliverer to get rid of those pesky Romans and set up a worldly kingdom for the Jews to reign. That was what they thought. That wasn't the plan of Christ. The plan of Christ was to come and to die on the cross so that you and I could be born again and have a spiritual birth. So they're looking at it from a, a carnal, a worldly mindset, and so were the disciples. And Peter's like, no, this, this can't happen. And this is the verse I ultimately want to read because this is what we find ourselves in in many situations in our own life. Jesus' reply to Peter was this. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're not thinking about things from God's perspective. You're thinking about them from man's perspective. Didn't mean when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, he wasn't indicating that he was demon-possessed or anything. Just means that he wasn't looking at things the way God wanted him to look at those things. We talked about the carnal mind being an enemy to God. We talked about our minds needing to be transformed. We talked about the Israelites who, though their bodies left Egypt, their minds never did, right? And we live like that sometimes. We're we're saved and we are physically, if you will, saved and in the kingdom of God, but sometimes our mind, those things of the past, still haunt us and, and, and tug on our minds. Philippians 2 and 5 says, to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we are Christians, then it, it only stands to reason that we would think about things the way Christ thinks about things. Amen? So let me just kind of pick up for, from there. When you look at a spiritual body, that's what we are. Okay, the Bible uses the body as an illustration for how the church works. Just like the body has different parts, and every part uh, does its role. No matter how small the part is, it's important. The ears are small, relatively speaking, compared to the legs, but they're still very, very important. And every part of the body comes together doing its part to make one body. But what is it, uh, what is, what part of the body controls all of the body. It's the mind. It's the mind that gives the signals to the hands to do what it's supposed to do and the feet to do what it's supposed to do. So Jesus ultimately is the head of the body. We're the body. Jesus is the head. But what we find many times within a church body and church body as a whole is carnal minds within a church body. You know what it is that causes most, most church problems? You know what it is that causes churches to split It's carnal minds, worldly minds, thinking about the things of man rather than the things of God within that spiritual body. 
There's been a many good Christian church movements that have been destroyed over the years because somebody got a little too high and mighty. Maybe somebody wanted it their way. This carnal way of thinking. And so I believe that God is wanting to give us a brain transplant, okay? To take out, remember we talked about David that said, God created me a new heart, a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. In other words, Lord, take out this, this worldly mind and give me a spiritual mind that I can see things and look at things the way you do. Get, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Somebody you come across in your daily walk wrongs you, your carnal mind wants to get back at them. But Jesus' mind said, turn the other cheek, right? Jesus' mind, he's hanging on the cross, looking at the people who abused him and the people that crucified him, the people that are yelling and screaming and making fun, the men that, that spit in his face and pulled his beard and hit him with the whip. He's looking at these same men. Jesus' mind brought him to the point where he looked at those people and said, Father, forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. He was able to forgive those who were despitefully using him and persecuting him, and he gives us that same command. Have this mind. So we want to have within the church body, within our own body, the mind of Christ that directs the decisions that we make. We, we're, we're, our life is full of decisions, and if, we're, if we, the, the, the mind is the steering wheel. And if the carnal, the flesh, the man part of us has control of the steering wheel, that's the direction our life will go. But if the Holy Spirit has control of the mind, has control of the steering wheel, that's the way ultimately that we will go. I believe it's in Romans, it said, um, uh, I'm gonna, I'll probably butcher this, but this is the gist of it. Um, it says that, uh, let's see, what does it say? <laughs> uh, well, maybe I'll come back to it later. What does it say? Oh, you are servants. We are servants to whom you yield yourself. There it is. To who you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. In other words, if, I, if you yield yourself to the flesh, you become a servant to the flesh. If you yield yourself to the Spirit of God, you become a servant to the Spirit of God. And ultimately, that decision is ours, who we become uh, servants to. So James gives us a picture, and James, he says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. A double-minded man, what does that mean? It means to think two different ways. So the picture is the mind, the, one of, the, the mind of faith and the mind of doubt. He said someone who has that double mind is unstable, Imagine, imagine if you were double-minded about anything. I don't know what, what you were gonna, where you were going to go. I'm, you say, I'm going to go, the same person, I'm going to go to Kabul. No, I'm going to go to West Plains. I'm going to go to Kabul. I'm, you're double-minded. You, that's going to be hard to do. There's just, this is tug of war. And so what the, what the scripture does is it compels us to be single-minded or to, to take and to yield our thought processes to, the, to, to that of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can do that is to learn about Christ. How's your, how's your Bible reading going, the, 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 the Bible app? How's your prayer life going? Are, are, you, are you really, are you snuggling in close to Jesus? Because I'm telling you, the more you do that, the more you begin to think like him. You know, the longer you're married, the more you begin to think like your spouse. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I, and I'll give you an example. This, is, this just happened this morning. I'm on my way to church. I always come in early by myself, just spend some time praying and kind of get my, my thoughts wrapped around the service. And so I'm on my way to town and... Uh, now, my wife, my, sweetie, is, is like this tremendously compassionate person towards animals, okay? Me and Brady like to watch deer hunting videos and stuff on TV, you know, and, 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 every, and we don't like to watch it when she's in the room because every time they shoot a deer, she's like, aw. You know, you can see any dead animal on the road, we go by it, she's like, aw. 
And, and so, you know, that stuff never used to bother me. And I kid you not, I'm on my way to church this morning, and there was a, there was a kitten that was laying dead on the road right over here around, around the corner. Somebody's pet cat was on the road. And I audibly said, oh, I would have never done that before. I would have never done that before. But she, you know, she's, the longer you spend with somebody, you begin to think like they do. And she, she can finish my sentences. She knows what I like. And so it's about time spent. Remember last week, I, I talked about, you know, no one sermon or two sermons or sermon series. I, I could do a comprehensive Bible study on the mind and, and give you a thousand verses. And that by itself really isn't enough to change the way you think about things. The only thing that enables us to change the way we think is time spent in the presence of God. Amen? Through prayer, through Bible study, and through church, and just giving God our thoughts, that's what changes our direction. I think the illustration I used last week was to, to try, for me to try to change your mind or you to try to change my mind, we can argue all day long. To change somebody's thought pattern, it, is, it would be like changing the flight pattern of a 747 with a leaf blower, right? I mean, you just, you can't do that. So it takes, it takes the Spirit of God to change our direction. We have to realize, we have to realize who's bigger. Now here's, here's, a, here's, the, over, here's the Captain Obvious statement for today, okay? God's smarter than we are, okay? Now, and we know that, and we would say, nobody's going to say, oh yeah, I'm smarter than God, but, but we act, and we live sometimes like we, we think we're smarter than God, right? God gives us a direction of thought and, and, and the way we're supposed to be, and we, we just completely go another way. But it's, it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, uh, heard this story uh, of, a, of a ship, two ship uh, the ship is in the sea, and he's, he's going on this big battleship, and he's going along, and he, he sees a light in the distance, another ship that's coming right at him. And he realizes, the ship realizes that they're in the same uh, pattern. So this battleship sends out the, 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 the distress code to the other ship and says, uh, change your course 10 degrees uh, to the right. And the, and the code comes back from that ship, says, you change your course 10 degrees to the right. And this, the, the battleship says, no, I'm telling you, change course 10 degrees to the right. I'm not going to do it. You change your course 10 degrees to the right. So this one finally says, look, last warning, final warning, I am a battleship. And I'm telling you, change your course 10 degrees to the right. And the word came back and says, this is your final warning. I'm a lighthouse. Turn the course of your direction 10 degrees to the right. Okay? So obviously, the lighthouse being on land, it's not going to move. It's there. And so the battleship, no matter how big and bad he thought he was, he had to be the one to change course. And we come up against God's mi mindset sometimes. We have our own mindset. And we want God to change. We want to take the word of God and tweak it and make it to fit our life. It just doesn't work that way. God is saying, look, I'm not moving. I'm not changing my mind. You have to be the one ultimately to change. Amen? Let me tell you something. God is the reigning champion in the game of chicken. He don't move. You ever play chicken? Get on your bikes, you know, when you, you boys, when you're, you know, you, you're racing towards one another and the first one, you know, the first one to move is the chicken. You're going to see how long you can go and if neither one of you, you God is a, he's a reigning champion in the game of chicken. He don't move. No, nobody always say nobody wins in a headbutt, but God always wins, right, in, in a headbutt. We, the scripture teaches us this, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. What does that mean? It means if my opinion differs with God's, I'm wrong, period. And I can argue with God all day long, and I can argue with him my entire life, but when I stand before him on judgment day, I'm standing before the lighthouse, amen? 
His, his, his way, his, his will, his way does not change. So it, it starts, I think, that, like I said last week, we have to come to a point where just allow a seed of thought. To just, just for a moment, could, I, could it be that my mind has been influenced by the, the secular or the worldly society around me? How much have I been influenced by the world around me? Now, if you, if you look at that honestly, I, well, and I'll be the first one to admit, you'll see that you were in, we, we, the world around us, the sinful world around us is sticky. Amen? It's sticky. And, and sin, it has such an allure to it. Sin pulls us in and makes us feel like we're in control of our life and it's fun and it's better. It's like, uh, I said this, those of you here Wednesday night, you heard me say this, but I read something this week and said, uh, sin is like a sneeze. It feels good at first, but it always leaves a mess. <laughs> That's true, right? Feels good at first, but it always leaves a mess. And so sin has that allure to it in the world around us. And so the, the world is sticky. And so how are, am I being influenced more by the world around me or am I being influenced more by the spirit of God? That's an honest question that each one of us should ask ourselves. We might find a little bit of the world, more of the world stuck to us than what we think. Now it starts with me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm compelling you to do this, but that's not something that I'm not doing myself. And here's, here's one thing I want to be sure that I don't do, okay? I want to present this to you today in a way to inspire you to begin to seek God and, and, and to take an honest inventory, honest look at your life. Is it may, am I looking at this right? Could I be wrong? But I, I'm not saying all this. The, the purpose is not to get you, to condemn you or cause you to question your salvation, all right? Because remember, we talk about these disciples. They're godly people. They're, they're Jesus' people, but they still had a carnal mind. So it's not a matter of you not being saved. I mean, our, when, you, when you're saved and you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you picture him on the cross, you know and believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and you, you repent of your sin, your, your soul is renewed, amen? Your soul is renewed and changed and, and set free, but sometimes our mind takes a little bit longer to be renewed. Our souls are, that's the way it was with, with the disciples. I mean, they were, their soul in a sense was renewed. They'd spent three days with, three years with Jesus, but their mind had not quite been renewed yet. I mean, there was one instance where the, the disciples, these, these same men, okay, for, well, first of all, they're, they're in a boat with Jesus and they're going along and Jesus says to them, beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what he's talking to them about was the Pharisees' religion. They were very legalistic, judgmental, prideful religious people. And that's ultimately what Jesus was talking about. Beware, it's like leaven. Leaven is like yeast. Once you get a little bit of yeast in that lump of dough, what does it cause it to do? It, it causes it to rise. It causes it to get big. It just takes a little bit uh, of yeast. And so he said, beware of the leaven or the, the hypocrisy, the, the religion of the Pharisees, because you get a little of that in you, it, it begins to grow and it turns into something that God don't even want, right? Want you to be. And so he's, that's ultimately what Jesus, that's the lesson Jesus is trying to get across. But here's how, the, here's how the disciples read it. Here's how the disciples thought about it. They said, they said wait a minute. He's talking about leaven. Leaven is in bread. We only brought one loaf of bread. There's 12 people here. We only brought one loaf of bread. He said, beware of the leaven. This is how the human, my carnal mind, they were thinking about it carnally. Oh, he's talking about leaven, so therefore he must be talking about bread. It had nothing to do with what Jesus was saying to them. But here's the bad thing. Okay, these same men, okay, not too long before that, on two different occasions, Watch Jesus take a little bit of bread, just a couple pieces or a couple loaves. 
They watched Jesus take a little bit of bread, bless it, break it, and keep breaking it, and keep breaking it. And he took a little bit of bread and fed 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, thousands of people that Jesus fed with this little bit of bread. They've seen it happen twice. And now here they are on the boat, 12 people and one loaf of bread. And they're thinking, oh, Jesus is mad because we didn't bring enough bread. Jesus comes to them. He says, guys, guys, guys. He knows what they're thinking because he always does. I might add whatever you think, whatever your mind, Jesus knows what your mind is, right? Jesus said, guys, how many, how many, when I, when I split the loaves this time, how many baskets did you take over? Well, quite a few have. And so finally he's saying, how, do you, how can you not understand what I'm, what I'm getting at? The point was, the point is this, that they, what they should have thought when Jesus said that was, well, he's not talking about bread because we know he's able to take this one loaf and feed all of us, right? The spiritual mind would have understood what Jesus was trying to get across to them. And so we all fight that carnal mind. Every, every time I preach a sermon, you, you have to be receptive to the Holy Spirit. Because, I, I mean, when I preach, it's not about what I'm saying. It's not about my opinions. I try my very best to keep my opinions out of it, although the PETA thing was probably more my opinion. <laughs> but uh, so, so you have to be receptive and, and, and that, the, that the Spirit of God will give you understanding as to what he's trying to say to you, ultimately. And we all struggle with that. We all struggle with it. We, our mind, like that vortex, that whirlwind that our mind gets wrapped up in. I, mine, mine is like a, mine is like a runaway train at times. You know, I'll be, I'll be thinking about something. I'll sit down to read the scripture, or pray, and man, you know, 15 minutes later, I'll, I'm, I'm like staring blindly into the wall, and I'm like way out here, and I think, I may be thinking about turtles or something. I don't know. I just, but I'm thinking. Where did that come from? Anybody else? Is that just me or is anybody else? It's just this, this mind. It's like, a, it's like a runaway train. And uh, we just, it, sometimes it just gets on the wrong track. We say, God, you only can tame the mind. You know, the, the most wild of animals can be tamed. They can take a lion. They can take, you can take a horse. You know, some of you, Delvin, some of you guys have broke horses before. You can take a horse that is just wild and you can break it. It takes a lot of work. I've never done it. I'm not brave enough. I'm not tough enough probably to break a horse. But you have to be willing to get bucked off. You know, I mean, it's a lot to break a horse, but you can do it and you can tame it. It takes a lot to tame the human brain, the human mind, even the Christian mind. You can't break it, but the Holy Spirit can break it. You understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit can break us to a point where we're tamed and our mind is tamed. We can think the way Christ does, but it all has to begin just us going down that track, I think. Acknowledging again, who is influencing my everyday decisions and my opinions? Is it secular society or is it the Holy Spirit? Is it CNN or is it the word of God, right? Is it, is it the news broadcast? Is it the sitcoms? Is it all of these, you know, what's shaping the way I think about things? See, because here's, we're living in, a, in an age more and more and more as time goes by where true Christianity is under attack, right? That which is solid, that which is true is being compromised within the church and within society and we have to make up our minds. This is, this is, this is the, the message. We, I believe, Dennis and you, all, we have to make up our mind now. Am I gonna believe God or am I gonna believe man? 
Because there's a lot of things on the table that we see every day, things in society that are, are made out to be acceptable today that we know according to the word of God aren't. I mean, we, we, we always want to center around these two particular topics, but let's talk about them for just a second. I mean, how you view same-sex marriage, how you view abortion, legalized marijuana, stuff like that, how you view those things, it does matter because the world around us is kind of wiping away the lines, right? The world around us is, in, in, the, in, the, in the name of acceptance, kind of blurring those lines, and we do have to make up our mind, who do we agree with? The, the secular world around us, or do, we believe, or do we agree with the word of God? And that's important that we understand that. But what I want you to understand this morning is that there's more to the gospel than how you stand on those two topics. You know, the secular world always wants to go to those two topics. And they try, you take, you know, Christian, whether it's a Christian artist or TV host, and they always go to those two topics. How do you feel about gay marriage? How do you feel about abortion? Because they're trying to, they're trying to make us look like bigots and hypocrites. And, and every, they feel like the whole gospel hinges on how we feel about those two topics. But Christians do the same thing. Well, bless God, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in the word of God, this and the word of God, that. And that's good. How we view those topics matter. But how you view topics like loving your neighbor matters too. How you view topics like racism and helping the poor and loving your enemies, forgiving people who wrong you, those things matter too. It doesn't all hinge on those two things. Let's get off of it, you know, as, as, as a church. Yeah, we stand. We don't want to make compromise, but that's not what it's all about. People have a, You can be on the right side of those two topics and be on the wrong side of other topics that are probably more important, maybe, as it regards to the church anyway. Somebody within the church, you know, there's been instances where people in church can be nasty. I've heard, for, I mean, we've... You guys are awesome, and we've had a, not, not that we've not had any issues over, over the years, a few here and there, but for the most part, this is, this is the most loving and cooperative group that I've ever been a part of, and so, but I hear horror stories, and you know, pastors talk. <laughs> we do that. We have to have somebody to talk to, right? And, and to hear stories about things that people say to other Christians is just horrible. It's nasty. I'm thinking that that's, that's that carnal mind. Now, that person would tell you, I don't agree with abortion, but I'm going to run this person into the ground because I don't, you know, they don't do things the way I like, don't dress the way I like, or whatever. Churches split over some of the funniest, stupidest things. Roof colors and, you know, all that, all that type of stuff. Thinking about it from a natural, it's this more than how we stand on a few of the big items. I think maybe if we start thinking a little bit more like Jesus in some of the smaller stuff, then we probably would automatically start thinking like Jesus and some of the bigger stuff. Amen? How do, I, how do I look about forgiving people? Worry about that before you worry about same-sex marriage and abortion and all that kind of stuff. How do we change our thought process? It takes a work of the Spirit to be in the presence of God. Paul, you read in Corinthians, Corinth was a, was a very wicked place, okay? Back in Paul's day, I mean, we're talking Sin City, 2,000 years ago. It was, like, it was like Las Vegas on steroids. It was, a, it was a nasty, sinful, wicked place. And Paul walks into that city preaching the gospel. And people just start getting saved left and right. 
And we find throughout that they were saved, but their, their mind still needed some renewing, still needed some transforming. And so Paul is kind of addressing a few situations here and there. They were kind of arguing among themselves about a, a few things. And so he's like, no, look, you're not looking at this right. And he's trying to, to help them renew and fix the way that they look at things. But this is what Paul says to them. He says, when I came into you to, to Corinth and I was preaching the gospel, I did not come in with enticing words of man's wisdom. In other words, I didn't, I didn't come in with a compelling argument in which I sat down and think, I'll say this and I'll say that. I didn't, with my words, convince you that the gospel of Jesus Christ was true. I came to you with the demonstration and the power of the Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. For the one who will humble themselves and yield to the Holy Spirit, that is the one that can be changed. Not by fancy sermons and, pre and, 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 sermons and, and teachings and all that kind of stuff. In the midst of a wicked culture, people were standing strong. In the midst of a culture that was going further and further and further downhill. I mean, this is a culture where, I mean, first of all, they had all kinds of different gods that they worshiped, but, you know, prostitution was not only like a sin and, a, you know, and uh, something that happened. Prostitution was a part of their religion in Corinth. And these people were just wicked and and so as these people are coming to know Jesus, they're having to, they're having to realize, no, there's one God, not many. And, there, and this one God is looking for purity from me, not loose living. I mean, so it was a, there's this renewing of the mind, but they're, they're surrounded by this current, this carnal current, if you will. How I many of you like to float? I love to go floating. Floating is like one of the most relaxing things you get in the... <clears throat> Inner tube, well, I don't do inner tubes because I'm always afraid a, bite, a snake's going to bite my hind end or something. I don't, I don't like inner tubes. I don't want anything hanging over, you know. But so I, I, get in a, I get in a kayak or something or a canoe, and you just get in there, and the, 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 water, the current is, is taking the river. All you, all you, have, you have to paddle, maybe steer a little bit. For the most part, though, the river's doing the work. It's just, you just rear back and go with the flow, and it's, it's so great. But you can imagine what it'd be like to turn around and paddle upstream, that would be harder. It's always harder to paddle upstream than it is to just flow with the current. You paddle upstream, there's, there's more work on, on your part, maybe a little bit more exhaustion on your part. People are going to make fun of you. I mean, you imagine going on Memorial Day. There's, you, ever, you ever float a Memorial Day? I wouldn't recommend it. You can just about walk across the canoe. But you imagine Memorial Day, and, and there's hundreds of canoes going down, and you're paddling upstream? Everybody going to say, like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Why are you going? Why? You need to turn around and, and just go with the flow. Just let the current take you. And there is this, there is this carnal current in the world around us. It, it seems like it's the easiest route. Just go along with the flow. Go with what society says is acceptable. That's easier on you. And it is. I'll be first, I'll be first to tell you right now. For this life anyway, your life would be easier. My life would be easier if I didn't get up and do this kind of stuff, right? You don't have to worry about any kind of backlash. You don't have to worry about, you know, the effort and the sacrifice it's going to take to go against the carnal current to stand for that which is spiritual. You don't have to worry about any of that if you just go with the flow. You don't have to worry about people saying, oh, you're just, you're just a hypocrite or you're just a bigot or you just don't know. And, and you know, and all the, the things that people say about us when we try to go against the current. It's harder to go against the current. I will grant you that. But... That's what God calls us to do as his people. To think, not like the world around us, but to think like Christ would have us to think, which goes against 
the current. Amen? It's a decision we have to make on our part. If we don't have our mind made up, then we will not stand when those instances occur. Okay? If we're wishy-washy now, then when those moments arise, it's so much easier just to jump in the, the tube and go on down. We, we have to make up our mind. God, if you'll show me what your truth is, if you'll show me what your heart, give me your heart, give me your mind, give me the power and the strength to stand, I, I will do it. But we, we, we do that now. It's, it's in preparation, right? It's in preparation. If you, if you, uh, somebody's going to go do a, I don't know, uh, world's strongest man competition, he's not just going to go over there and make up his mind one day, eh, I may just go do that and then just go do it, right? It's going to take a lot of preparation in order to get strong enough to keep up with competition like that. Well, I think we have to be intentional about being a Christian, amen? Not, not just accepting Christ and being saved, but I think we have to be intentional about living out the Christian life to prepare ahead of time so that we're prepared for that type of comp. There's a lot of competition out there in the world around us contrary to what we believe as Christians. A lot of competition. Let me tell you something, parents, grandparents, they're, they're, uh, they're, the competition is fighting hard for the minds of your children. Watch, my goodness, you can watch... I've seen, I've seen cartoons, seen Disney shows, you know, that just like, gosh, that is very, very liberal or whatever you want to say it. That's, that's, that's going a direction. I don't think I won't want my kids to go. You see, to see how subtle the devil is in starting with our kids to go for their mind. I think we have to be intentional about fighting for them and teaching them, look, it's not always... Being a Christian is not about being popular with everybody. That's not the purpose. When Jesus came and died on this cross, the last thing he was after was to be popular with everybody. He came to die so that we could have eternal life, and that's what we should pursue. Those that, those that, that know what it is to, to operate with a spiritual mind, we should pray for, the, for, for those who don't. Pray for those who are weaker in the faith or new in the faith. What we need is ultimately the presence of God. What we need is revival in our hearts, revival in our minds where the Holy Spirit gets access once again to the steering wheel. Amen? Um, Second Corinthians, you can turn it if you want to. I'm gonna, if you don't have to, I'm going to read it real quick. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Well, I kind of already read that. Paul saying, it's not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Let's, let's skip on down to verse 14. He says, the natural person or the carnal person the human person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. The King James says foolishness. So the person who's, who, who's not spiritual, the person who's not saved that doesn't understand the gospel, when they think about the things of God, like the things we're talking about, they, that's foolish. God coming to earth and dying for us, it's foolish. Because he goes on to say that, that they cannot, they're not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They're spiritually understood. To understand the ways of God, it takes the spirit of God to reveal it to us. Amen? We can't understand it on our own. It, re it requires that seeking of God on a level that's greater than just getting what I want out of life. Does that make sense? To say, Lord, you come and you revive me. You give me a clean heart. We need revival. I'm not talking about a, I mean, we can have a revival. Like, you know, I always say this. I know I say, but I mean, I'm not talking about a revival of like a consecutive nights of service. Because here's the thing. We can, you know, this, more church isn't necessarily going to accomplish this for us. We can come and have five, nine, we can have two weeks of revival and have services 
and everybody think just as carnally as they did when it was all over. We need a revival that takes place in every individual soul, amen? Where every heart becomes more hungry for the things of God than we are for the things of the world. Anybody with little kids knows very well that if you let your kids eat a bunch of junk food before supper, they're not going to be hungry for the good stuff, right? You fix you know, chicken and broccoli and you know, potatoes and whatever, all the stuff that's really good for them. But if they eat four bowls of ice cream before, then they're not going to be hungry for that. It all comes down to what, what are you hungry for and what are you filling yourself with ultimately? What are you filling yourself with? And so we're not going to be as hungry for the things of God if we're filling up ourselves on the things of the world around us more so. Does that make sense? There should be something, that's, if nothing else, say, God, I'm not hungry enough. And be honest with God. He can take it. He knows what you're thinking anyway. God, I, look, I can honestly say to you, Lord, I'm not hungry enough for you. I struggle with my mind. I struggle with my flesh. I struggle with my desires, my lust. Help me, help me to just hunger more for you. And, and the more you hunger for God, the more you begin to desire those. I had, here all back, we had, uh, oh, there's a weekend, I can't remember now, we had so many things going on. And we were, we were eating out, you know, just on the go, grease and fast food, and it was just all this kind of stuff. And, and it was just great at first, you know, and, you know, pies and candy bars and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I finally, I, I, I told Sweetie when I said, I am so, I'm just like, Bleh. I just felt, because all the junk I was taking in, I said, I said, go buy me some carrots. I just, I, got, I just got to crave, and this doesn't happen for me. I mean, I'd way rather have chocolate meringue pie or lemon meringue pie. But I, I got to, it was like it was just bogging me down, and I just didn't feel good. I, thought, I, I got to craving something healthy. And, and so I got the carrots and stuff, and, and it, just, it was refreshing to me. And I, I just think, I, I get that way sometimes spiritually. You ever spiritually just get kind of like, Bleh. It's like you're watching TV and it's like, you know what? This is not doing it for me anymore. You know, or, or you're going somewhere, you, your hobby, you're th- you get so wrapped up in your hobby and it's like, uh, and you just get to craving, hopefully you do, get to craving something, uh, some pre- a presence with God. You, can be, you get to craving the word of God because you know that's actually doing you more good than anything else. God, restore, give me that craving. I'm gonna leave you with this in Philippians 4 and 8. It says, finally, brethren, what, whatever is true, this is what we should think on. This is what our mind should focus on because what we take in is what's going to come out. Amen? What we take in is what's going to come out. So he said, think on these things. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, King James says, if there's any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You struggle, this is something I go to a lot personally. I struggle with my mind. I'm hurt about something, upset about something, whatever. And it's just eating my mind. Does it fit within any of these categories? Is it pure, this thought that I'm having? This person that I'm wanting to, you know, rip their esophagus out of their throat? That doesn't fit within what's pure and lovely, right? So whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any praise, think on these things. What we think, what, co- what goes in, 
will definitely be what comes out. There's just no doubt about that. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, this is huge. I hope that you'll, if you, I would, I would jot this down, highlight this, underline this in your Bible, okay? This is important. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we're still human, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, it's not with the flesh and the body. That, that's not really where the real battle lies. We fight that a lot, but that's not really where the real battle is at. He goes on to say, the, the weapons of our, war, of our warfare as Christians are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The King, King James says, they're not, of the, uh, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And look at this, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. Say that out loud with me. Every thought captive. How many thoughts? Every thought captive. It is the mind. This is where the battle is. This is the battle that we fight every day Was it within our mind. We're striving to think about that which is pure and holy and just and all of these types of things, but we have the world around us. We have the enemy that's constantly trying to, uh, you know, sow um, uh, fear and doubt. And I think I left off the very first verse I was going to read this morning that simply in 2 Timothy says that, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Power and love and a sound mind. So when there's this conflicting, this battle going on, he says, ultimately, we take every thought captive. We take it one thought at a time. Take one thought at a time and bring it before God and commit it to him. We fight that one thought at a time, bringing it into captivity that it doesn't grab a hold. I like the way uh, Billy Graham said it. He said, I can't, I can't keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can keep it from building a nest in my hair can't necessarily always help those fleeting thoughts. But through the word of God and through the presence of God, we can learn not to allow those thoughts to take root. Taking every thought captive. Jesus taught us that principle in, uh, in his temptation. You know, 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was out in the desert fasting, getting ready to prepare for his ministry. And now let me ask you a question. If you hadn't eaten in 40 days, what do you think would be on your mind the most? <laughs> I know what would be on my mind, like fried chicken and a whole bit. Because uh, preachers like fried chicken. Fried chicken is always on the mind of a preacher for some reason. 40 days of not eating, his mind is on food, right? Satan comes to him and says, well, hey, if you're really the son of God, just take that rock over there and turn it into bread and eat it. It was, it was an attack on the mind, Right? Satan playing with what he knows to be a battle of the mind in that moment. And Jesus, taking it one thought at a time, takes that thought captive and says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, my existence is not about food. I have a food, I have a, I have a desire far greater than the one in my belly right now, and that is to honor and to please God. To one thought. Then Satan comes with a second. Takes him up on a high pinnacle of the temple. He says, hey, if you're really the son of God, why don't you just jump off of here? Because the scripture says that the angels will catch you. And the, Bible, and the scriptures do say that. Satan does what he does so well. He takes scripture out of context to confuse. This mindset that basically Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he was having to prove himself. Everybody said, if you're the son of God. Now, if you think about it, for me, 
If I'm capable of the things that Jesus is capable of, capable of, and somebody says, if you're the son of God, prove it. You know, they just fall. You know, I'll prove it. There'd be something in me that wants to, yeah, I'll show you. But, and, but Jesus resisted that. He said, no, my, my glory will come in due time. He said, I'm not going to jump off here because it's written. You're not supposed to tempt the Lord thy God. Took that one thought captive. And then Satan goes on, takes him to a high place of the mountain looking out over all the kingdoms of the world and Satan makes a deal or tries to make a deal with Jesus. If you will bow down to me, I will basically let go of my influence over all of these kingdoms. All of these kingdoms will be yours if you'll just bow down to me. Why, first of all, why was Jesus coming to die? Was it not to deliver all the kingdoms of the world from Satan's grasps? Because Satan does have control in a lot of ways. See, God has, has ultimate control. But Satan has a lot of control over the kingdoms of the world. We've talked about that a little bit. You bow down to me, and I'll let it all go. Maybe he was trying to convince him that you wouldn't even have to go to the cross. If you, your whole life, knew that you were going to ultimately die by crucifixion, especially when you got three years out, you know three years from now, you're going to die a gruesome, horrible death and be crucified. Wouldn't that be on your mind? I think it would. I think it'd be on your mind a lot. Here, Jesus, here's a way out. Just bow to me. I'll let go of my control over all these people, and maybe you can escape the cross. That wouldn't have worked, but the devil's a liar and the father of it. Point being, it was a battle against the mind of Jesus. Jesus took that one thought, he took it captive. He said, I'm, it's written. The Lord, God only shall they serve. I'm not going to deny my God. Amen? Amen? In the garden, Gethsemane, before the crucifixion, you can see the Bible says that Jesus agonized. His sweat was like great drops of blood as he agonized over the, the cross that was coming. And he, and he began to pray, Father, if there's any way any other way we can do this, any other way we can redeem mankind without me having to go to this cross, let's do that. Let this cup pass from me. Three times, Jesus, it's on his mind. He's, he's battling in his mind. He knows what he has to do. He knows what God wants him to do, but he, in that moment, he's not exactly wanting to do it. This, and you can, almost, you can almost, behind the scenes, you can almost hear Satan whispering in his ear, don't do it. Why would you go through this? These people... These people are going to crucify you and you're dying for them? It's an attack on the mind. But Jesus takes that thought captive. He focuses on what his calling is. He focuses on what he knows to be true. And he concludes with this. God, not my will, but your will be done. Let my mind conform completely to yours. Amen? Sometimes it can be agonizing in our life. But let me, hear, let, me, let, me, let me encourage you this morning. When you come honest before God, sometimes even through tears, God, let me come to a place where I can surrender to your will. Change my mind where it's necessary. He'll do that. Amen? Bow with me this morning, would you?